Hello, coffee lovers. Welcome back to Brain Crime. I'm Britt, and this is when normally Nikki would pop in and say, I'm Nikki, <laughs> but um, today you just got me. This, you, it's, this is a Brit episode. This is a series that I am starting. This is the first episode obviously, and it's called the State Series, and Nikki won't be joining me on my, on these series, um, unless, no, because she's from Texas, so, yeah, no, so I might have some guest hosts, um, depending on if I have some friends that are based off of the states that I'm doing, um, but other than that, it's just gonna be me, so, yeah, so, to kind of go back to that basically what it is is the state series is me just going in alphabetical order of the states and i have chosen a case from that state and that's basically what it is now obviously there's going to be a lot of episodes because there are 50 states but we are starting at number one which is alabama now i have to give credit to my friend Taylor, because she's the one who gave me the idea of the state series, which I thought was so brilliant. So obviously we're here. Thanks, Kay. And so yeah, we're starting with Alabama because that's the first one, right? Now, complete side note. I wonder if I was the only one whose elementary school taught them the state song. Um... Now, I know I've talked to other people about this, and they know the capitals of every state, but not the states. And, like, my school, they, Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, okay, that's, I'm not going to give you the whole thing, but, so, obviously, we're starting with Alabama, and when I, I chose this case, because I did, I did, I had a few options of case, actually, I have a lot, every state, there's murders. And crimes that happen all over but when I found this case I just thought it was gonna be a normal episode case you know 20 to 30 minutes but a boom and but then I started doing research and then I realized that this case is huge there are there's so much there there's so much and actually this year there was a huge development in the case and it is actually blowing up even more so we might even some people say it's solved, but technically right now, um, that's not the case because every single person is innocent until proven guilty. So yeah, so basically this case is so huge that I have to do two parts. So today you will be graced with part one of the J.B. Beasley and Tracy Hollett murders. Before we get into the episode, of course, I have to bring up coffee because would it be brewing crime if coffee isn't involved? Um, but so today I am drinking a Verona, which is a dark roast, and it's actually, this is actually cold coffee, but listen, I don't discriminate against any kind of bean. I don't, with any way that it's prepared, I don't care, okay? I just love coffee. I actually, no, this is my morning coffee that um, was made at like 10, and um, it's almost 3.30 right now, and I'm still drinking it, and I don't care, it's still delicious. So, please grab your coffee, your tea, your water, whatever you're drinking, grab it, sit down, and please enjoy 
this episode. I have done a lot, a lot of research actually for this and there's a lot that goes into it. So please pay attention and I hope you enjoy part one of the Alabama State Series case. So let's get this episode part one series started. There's a lot of levels to this. Now, before I dive into the actual case, um, complete side note, the episode, and the episode, the case is actually coming up on 10 years. So I don't want to say anniversary. I hate saying anniversary because an anniversary to me is something that is celebrated when it's remembered but so however you want to talk about it because the crime started the crime happened on July 31st 1999 now if you know me you would know that that is my birthday this is July 31st so which is coming up in less than two weeks so that's kind of eerie just a little bit um the fact that I can say I'm I I know what I was doing in 1999 on July 31st, which was celebrating my birthday. But, complete side note, not only is it my birthday and the day the crime happened, it was also J.B. Beasley's birthday. It was her 17th birthday. So, kind of super eerie, not only my birthday, not that that means anything, it's just complete unnecessary information, but her birthday, so that means she was killed on her birthday, which is, I mean, I mean, that's, it, it technically is only every other day of the year, but it's a day that you're supposed to be celebrating, and that is where the case starts. J.B. Beasley, J.B. and Tracy were on their way to go to a party to celebrate, that was being thrown to celebrate J.B.'s birthday. So they was they went out about 9:30 and they were going to a party that was that was only it wasn't that far away but on the way the girls got lost and they ended up 20 miles north in Ozark Alabama now the girls are from Dothan Alabama but the crime was committed in Ozark So the girls, JB was driving, they were driving, they were having a good time, jamming, probably doing what 17-year-old girls do, you know, when they're on their way to a party, one of them is it's their birthday, having a good time. Come to find out, they got lost. Now, the girls were only, they had 11.30 curfew, Tracy did, and JB was actually staying over at Tracy's house that night, so they knew they needed to be back. 11.30 came, and... Tracy's mom, Carol, actually got a call from Tracy stating that they got lost, they never found the party, and they stopped at at a, it's called a big little convenience store, um, where they're using the payphone from where she was calling her mother at the time, and they stopped and got directions from a woman and her daughter, and they would be home in about an hour. Now, Carol, Tracy's mom, stated that the girls seemed in high spirits. There was nothing out of the ordinary, and she said that they got off the phone by Tracy saying, I love you, mom, I'll see you later. 
and unfortunately that's the last time that Carol will would uh, talk to her daughter. Now, to not get into, to continue with that story, then about 5 a.m., Carol woke up and realized that Tracy and JB were, they didn't, they weren't home. And so they kind of started freaking out and Tracy's stepfather actually drove towards Ozark to see if maybe they got into a car accident or they were abandoned and they just have no way of contacting them to get help. Now, this is in 1999 when cell phones were around, but they were very far in between. I think pagers were more the thing back then, but the, uh, as, of, as of I know, nobody was page anything. So, And obviously, we know that she didn't have a cell phone because she was using a payphone to call her mother that night, Tracy. So at that time if they came back the stepfather said that he didn't find anything and so around 8 a.m they called the Dothan police department to report the girls missing and so they can also help on the search to find them now around the same time is when the Ozark police department found JB's car which was a 1993 Mazda and when they found it there was no sight of anything the girls weren't there so at this time I don't know it I couldn't find anywhere if they you know ran the registrate ran the plates and realized that it was that the car was actually owned from people in a different city Um, I'm not quite sure how that happened but I know it took a few hours before they found anything substantial now when the Ozark Police Department found the vehicle. It was abandoned. It was pulled off the side of the road. It was found on a, the Herring Avenue, is what it's called, is the street that it was found down. Now, like I said, there was it wasn't it was they were just parked on the side of the road. the The car was muddy, but it didn't look like it was in an accident, or you know, there was no flat tire. There was no distress to the vehicle in that manner. You know, there was no damage or anything like that but there was a few things weird about the scene because now it's really is it a crime scene not a crime scene because you know they don't really know what they're dealing with because as they know it's just an abandoned car the girls have not been found they were searching for a few hours before they found anything now what they could see from the car was that it was extremely muddy and the the driver's side window was was lowered a few inches and on top of that jb's license was on the was on the console was on the dashboard yeah the dashboard so they found that all of those things kind of weird now they had to wait a few hours before the tow truck came so they can tow the car back to dothan and at this point i'm gonna assume that the police department, you know, did the whole realize that it was supposed to be in Dauphin the whole time and contacted the family just because based off of the tags and, you know, so and so forth and a Dauphin truck driver. So one of the investigators was doing some snooping and realized that he can get in the trunk because the car door were, they were open. But the weird thing, the car keys weren't found. So at this point, they just figured that the girls had it. So the investigator did some digging, did some snooping around in the car, and that's when he decided to pop the trunk. And that is when he found both of the bodies 
of J.B. Beasley and Tracy Hollett. Now, from what they could see from the crime scene, Tracy was in in the she was in the further back of the trunk. So they're gonna assume that she got in first, and then J.B. Both of the girls were found with a single shot that they that was a fatal shot. There was no other um, injuries to their bodies. Tracy was killed and shot in her temple, and JB was shot through the cheek. Now, what they could see from what they could see was that the girls also had really muddy shoes and then they paired it with the muddy truck and and they didn't quite see they they were noticing that obviously there was some sort of they were walking they were obviously out and about and the area that they were found in on herring avenue there was no mud so obviously the crime they were killed and they were obviously at one point before they were killed in mud in a certain situation. They weren't right, right, if that makes sense. So the coroner's office, they, so when they did the examination, both of the girls um, obviously were shot and killed, like I said, and both their shoes were muddy. Now, both of their pant legs were wet as well. So it appeared that Obviously, the girls were held in some sort of situation where they were outside in the mud. Now, autopsies did show, thankfully, that the girls weren't sexually assaulted. Thank God. And also that there was no drugs or alcohol in their system. So, you know, right now, the, the they just know that the girls were put in a situation where, obviously, they were held captive of some sort. Two months later there was evidence released to the public that they did find semen on JB's bra, panties, and skin. But there was no actual penetration or anything like that. So they did have some sort of form of evidence. So at that point, the cops were like, we got this. We just need to find a suspect that links to the DNA and they were golden. Now there was actually a palm print actually linked as well on that they recorded and found on the trunk of the car so i don't know if you put two and two together if you make a verb if you make a visual of when you're getting thing when you're getting things out of the car or you're putting things in the in your trunk what do you do you put your hand on top of the trunk and you push down so obviously the palm print that they found was to the killer so now we're kind of now we're going to kind of fast forward to the suspects because as as they knew they had this DNA but they didn't know what what where what what happened because from the police reports that they they knew the information that they knew the girls were on their way back home so they started doing some investigation they knew that they were at that small and little convenience store so that's where they started now Tracy told her mother that the, the convenience store closed at 11, but if you recall, she called her mother at 11.30. So there was nobody at the convenience store. Now she did mention the women that she got directions from. And they did, they found this woman and she recalls nothing out of the ordinary. They, they, 
the girls told the woman and her daughter the situation and she gave her directions back onto Highway 231. And that's the direction that she saw the girls get in the car and go towards. So from that moment, from 11.30 to when the car was, when the car was found at 8 a.m., they don't really know what happened. Now, from what they do know is that the car was on empty. But from what the family, from what JB's family told the police, she filled up her car the day before. Now, you could say, now is it possible that they almost ran out of gas and used up basically a full tank of gas trying to find this party? Because remember, they left around 9.30 and they contacted their family, you know, Tracy contacted her mom at 11.30. That's only two hours. So is two hours enough time to almost go go through an entire tank of gas? To me, that sounds a little suspicious because, you know, I I have a Kia Forte and I can get some good mileage on that girl, you know? I can get some good mileage on it, but two hours, I don't know, you have to be driving really fast? Or, to me, that's just not possible. I don't know. So, what happened when, like, we just don't know what happened. So, they're searching, they're doing their thing, doing the best they can. Now, a month later, they get a man named Johnny Will William Baratine come in and say that he had information on the murders. Now, what he, not what he claims at the part. So this is when kind of things. This is why I say it's a two-part series because there's just so much. There, I could do an entire episode just based off of this suspect right now. Well, yes. Now, so I kind of leaked it. He is a suspect. He does become a prime suspect. Because Johnny William Bertine, he just really, he's a character, okay? And from based off of what his girlfriend says, his girlfriend says that on the night of the 31st at 11 o'clock at night, Johnny went out to go get milk for their two-year-old son. But he didn't return till 1 a.m. Now... She claims that when he came in, he was really flustered and his explanation for why he was so gone so long and why he was flustered is that he was hit by a car. Let me find, let me make sure I'm giving you the correct information. He says that he was hit by a car, a black truck to be specific, with Dothan tags near Herring Avenue. So within the next few days, he was talking to other people, telling about the situation, but he actually came out and told people that he has information on the girl's case. So a month went past and he, his friends, his family, they convinced them that you have to go in. You have to go in and tell the people what you know. You have to tell the police because to help out with this case. So this is, this, this is, I got to take a coffee break. Because this is where it just, like, I don't, gosh, I'm dumbfounded. Because you would think that if somebody knew something that they would come out with just one story. No. No, 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 no. Not Johnny William Bertine. Okay, complete side note. I just feel like I need to say his name fully or just call him Bertine because Johnny is just weird. That's just, I don't like a grown man name Johnny that's just weird to me <laughs> but anyways um but okay so this is when he proceeds to give six different 
versions of what happened that night and what he knows to the police. Sex? Sex? <sighs> Sex, okay. The first one is that he knew what happened. And that is the story. That's what he just kept telling his friends and his family that he knew what happened. And so that was why he went in in the first place. So there's that. So, all right. So then he started by saying that he knew what happened to the police. And so they did more digging. And what he said is that he saw a black truck speeding away from the area where the girls were found. Now, from based off of what he told his girlfriend that night, that exact night, we're making a connection between a black truck and then where the girls were found. Now it was, it was, you know, this is such a small area and the, actually the town has been shaken even now from this murder, from these murders, because apparently this town is, things like this don't happen. So obviously when it happened, it was in the news, it was everywhere. Excuse me, that was very rude and, and polite. But, so, from the area. So, that means he knew where the area was. But that night, he said Herring Avenue. Are we making the connections here? Okay, we're making the connections. Then he changed his story again to the police and said that he picked up a tattooed man that he didn't know. He didn't know this person, but he picked him up. I'm assuming he was hitchhiking. And they passed the gas station, the small and little convenience store, which just so happened to be the same convenience store that the girls were at and when they passed it when we passed it the his the hitchhiker the tattooed man told him to pull over pulled over started talking to the girls he walked back over to Bertine and told him hey follow me i'm gonna go with the girls got in the car with the two girls and they drove and ended up on hearing avenue he Baratine claims that the guy, tattooed man, got out of the vehicle. He heard two gunshots. He came back to Baratine's vehicle and said, hey, let's go. We got to drive away. And that's the end of it. That's, that's one story. And that's huge. That's a huge story. Because now you're claiming that you're telling us who's this tattooed man? Who's this hitchhiker? And that's, I have questions. Why didn't he kill you? Because you've seen his face. Like, what? What? All right, uh, let's, let's continue to the next few stories that he told them was that he actually knew the, ta the man and it was actually his neighbor. So listen, but I don't know what the police were thinking. They, I'm sure they were like, what do we have on his hands? Really, what I'm assuming that they thought was that this man knew something about the case but he just didn't want to implicate himself. So he was making up other things. So after the umpteen stories that he told him, the police arrested. They ar they arrested Johnny William Baratine and claim and announced that he is the prime suspect of this case, and they charged him with two capital murders. Now, I just threw a lot in your face, but what I do want you to know is that the case doesn't stop there. Because obviously there's so many holes to this as we don't know what exactly happened after the last time that the girls were saw or seen, grammar Brittany, which was at 1130 when they were on their way to the highway based off of the directions that the, the witness saw, gave them. So at 1130, now we know that Johnny left his house around 11 to go get milk. 
He's claiming at that time he picked up a man, saw the girls. So he definitely saw the girls. Now, at this point, this is where I have a lot of questions that I couldn't find. That did he go to the small, did he actually see them? You know, because we're still, at this point, we're assuming that he committed these crimes and that he had to see the girls at the small and little convenience store. Because, but, so I don't know if he left a few minutes before because the convenience store closed. Also, did he actually come home with the milk? Huh? When, did you get 2%? Did you get whole milk? What kind did you get? Skim? Ugh, gross. But, so, if he went into the convenience store and that's where he saw the girls, that's what I would like to know. I'm going to leave you at that, at part one. I know I'm leaving you at a cliffhanger, but it's this is kind of in the middle of it, and I don't want to give away any more without having to record another episode. So, yeah, I, I mean, this is where I'm leaving you off, and we, yeah, so as of right now, that's it, and I'm kind of babbling, but I will see you on the outro. so there we have it um i'm sorry for that awkward like outro of the main episode um i'm kind of scrambling because (laughs) um and my battery's dying so i'm trying to i'm trying to speed this up and yet give it quality at the same time so yeah i'm i know i'm leaving you in the middle of the case and i apologize but then don't at the same time because this case deserves as much time and effort and research and everything it deserves so much so I don't want to cram it into just a 20 minute podcast so I know you're being left with so many questions so please 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 stay tuned I will be posting my next episode of this of the Alabama case next week and we can get into all the dirty details we talk more about the we talk about the prime suspect which is baritine we talk about other we talk about two other suspects and then we talk about the huge huge breakthrough of the case that actually happened this year and that is going to completely turn everything around and hopefully it could come to a case closed and solved and the families will get their answers that they want to and everything else so please stay tuned thank you so much for listening i greatly appreciate it and i know nikki does too if she was here she would say it and thank you so much and i will see you next week coffee lovers thanks bye